That's a clown question, bro. Hey, what's up on you? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Gianta. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, it has been a powerful week of baseball. We had two three-home run games that were both hit at the same time. Did you catch that? Habreu and Grisham hit their third home runs of the game each like 15 seconds apart. It was awesome. Yeah, quite unreal. The week, it's been the week of the home run, week of the... Yeah slam for sure for one particular team uh but yeah it's been a it's been a fun week of baseball especially you know on social media uh just the entire like monday through sunday has been a pretty fun week of baseball specifically specifically this week yeah um so one thing i guess we could get right into it one thing that was not fun probably the the worst news of the past week of baseball uh, a couple of people on the Mets roster slash staff uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, they they uh, immediately canceled the uh, Mets-Yankees series, that, that Subway series for the weekend, and uh, their series after that is also postponed. Uh, but it is good. it was good to see that uh, they saw one positive test, and I guess they assumed that more would be coming. They were correct, and uh, they're out for the next week. Yeah. Um, shout out to Joanna Cespedes and Marcus Stroman for being ahead of the curve. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe they knew something. Uh, like- I mean, hey. I mean, listen. We. I think we all knew. Just as baseball fans, we knew it was going to happen to the Mets eventually. Like they are the the complete microcosm of this team would have a COVID outbreak, and they did. It wasn't, as of now, not a big one, but it happened. Of course it did. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be too fitting if they did have, like, the biggest outbreak, but they do have to get on the scoreboard uh, yeah. at some point with this type of stuff. So, unfortunately, those weekend games postponed, but they should be back um, for next, for, like, the next weekend series. Um, seems to be a lot of, uh, you know, negatives coming back only, only still only like two positives, right? Yeah, still it was a player and a staff member that tested positive. Yeah, a player and a staff member. Um, there's not not too much on this. I mean, we've already had uh, three of these things pop up. Um, the Reds one was definitely the least severe, and then you know the Marlins and Cardinals ones were on bad. another level. I have but, a, I have a couple of takeaways from this, Chris. Yeah. First of all, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Joanna Cespedes and Marcus Stroman, uh, they, they look like the two smartest individuals on planet Earth right now, even if uh, the way Cespedes went about opting out wasn't uh, the most professional. You know, it still looks really good of him to get out of that situation before it happened. Stroman as well. I know there was a lot of confusion as to his, the, the deeper meaning to his reasoning of, of him leaving. Uh, Regardless of what it is, he made the right decision, obviously. And secondly, the biggest winner in all this is Aaron Judge's MVP chances. Well, I would, I would say generally speaking. Um, or the Yankees in general, yeah. The Yankees, the, the whole Yankees, like they were getting off. Um, 
a bad se- a bad series against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, um, yeah. where they they got swept, and you know a lot of that had to do with injuries on from the offensive side. Uh, you know, LeMahieu, Judge, and Stanton are arguably their their three biggest offensive producers, and now they have a little more time. They they essentially got a bye week, uh, you know, where they can recover a little bit and they can, you know, play the Mets in some double headers where they do have, you know, either two of those guys or all those guys, one of those guys, it'll make a difference. So I think the Yankees definitely benefited from, from this one. And uh, yeah, they were, I think they were a little bit thankful that this one got postponed. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, they play the Mets next, next weekend anyway. So it's not like they have to wait too long and, and be too worried about when to make up these games. They can just do double headers. Um, I mean, I guess that is you don't want to do six games in, in one weekend. So maybe you do two double headers and then uh, schedule one later down the line. It's convenient that they're both in New York, of course. Uh, so that's not, you don't have to sacrifice a lot to get that done. I mean, if, you know, if you're the Yankees, if you're going to have to miss one series, it's, it's good to have it against the Mets. Um, I mean, they did have one earlier against the Phillies as well because of the Marlins outbreak after they had played the Phillies. But yeah, as you mentioned, like, you know, they are, they're coming off a tough stretch. They got swept by the Rays. They overtook first place. Uh, the Rays had a walk-off win today to overtake first place again. Or no, sorry, it wasn't walk-off. Yesterday was a walk-off. Today they just won. So the, the Rays are a game up in first place on the Yankees as of this point. Uh, this is a good time for the Yankees to sort of just take some time to heal, you know, take a breather coming off of a bad set. And they can come back even stronger. And, I mean, like I mentioned with Aaron Judge's MVP chances, you know, that was something that sort of looked like a like it went from a 100% possibility to 0%, whether he was going to be in the conversation or not, when that injury happened. You know, now if he's missing less games, he has a much better chance of qualifying for stats, uh, the rate stats. And, um, yeah, he is, he's back in the MVP conversation by default here. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Aaron Judge, because, you know, he had, um, he, it was described as a more minor injury, you know, I guess he never quite know, um, and he was going to miss probably nine or 10 games, and, you know, that's over 15% of your season, but now, might not be missing as many, and, uh, and yeah, he might, he might be back in the conversation for MVP if he, if he plays those double headers. Yeah, well, he, I mean, you probably, he's probably not going to play both ends of the double headers. Like you don't want to have someone come back from injury and then, all right, you're back two games in one day. Here we go. Even if it is seven innings, you don't want that. That is a health risk. So he is probably going to have to sit one end of each double header. Uh, it is what it is, but he definitely has a better chance of qualifying now. Yeah. And, you know, as much as, you know, it, it might sound silly, but a lot of these injuries can happen. All these small injuries can happen because, your body is tired, you know, standing, mm-hmm. just standing around for, and I, I know it's not the, the most, um, co- it's not the biggest like contact sport. It's not the biggest sport where you're moving all the time, but standing, overworked. standing in right field for 14, 14 innings when you're 280 pounds can take a toll on you and it can open up your body to more wear and tear. Um, so it, yeah, those double headers might be a bad idea, especially for the Yankees where it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to get in the playoffs anyway. And, mm-hmm. you know, home field advantage isn't 
as big this year because of no crowds. No, that's um, not for the Yankees too. Like the Yankees are missing out on the home field advantage the most in the playoffs. That I mean, that's that's why, um, that's why I had them sort of underperforming this year when I when I talked predictions, um, because that that crowd does play a factor, especially in the postseason. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this stat going around, but I mean, they are nine and nine against teams that aren't the Red Sox. Yeah, nine and nine. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the the pitching staff because yeah, and James Paxson also went down. So did Gleyber Torres since the last time we talked. Yeah, it's been rough for the Yankees. I mean, I I don't know what <laughs> what is up with that training staff. I don't know if they hired the Mets right, old right, training right. staff, yeah. but or the Angels. One yeah. of those two. Yeah, I mean. I mean, the Yankees have this, you know, they are a next man up kind of team. That was their whole mantra last season before the Savages thing happened. Uh, and, you know, with Jeff Passan put out a tweet where he was like, you know, this, you know, the Yankees do have the amount of depth to be able to weather this, but it's not ideal when you're a World Series contender to have your top three hitters out of the lineup. Arguably your top four hitters, if you, it, probably Glaber. So, I mean, yeah, you probably have your top four hitters out of the lineup, you could argue, except for probably Luke Voigt, who's hitting the cover off the ball. He is an 1,100-plus OPS this season. Uh, you also have Paxton. I know Paxton hasn't really been himself, but, you, you know, that guy's going to give you innings and you don't want to lose him. Uh, and I think a lot – Yankee fans have been calling for Clark Schmidt. Uh, I have no idea what they're going to do. I mean, do, do, do the Yankees – what do the Yankees do at the deadline? This sort of just popped into my mind just now. Like, what, what do they do? Because they have the bullpen. They have lineup depth. Where, where do they go – for the starting pitching market. Like, who realistically is going to be out there? Yeah, I mean, Stroman opted out. Um, I, the Reds are probably going to be contending, so I don't know if Bauer is going to be on the market. Um, I mean, Robbie Ray, they denied him last year, and he's been worse uh, this year. Paxton is on their team already, so it's not like they can trade for him. He's an upcoming free agent. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, you know, Matthew Boyd has struggled. You don't really want to trade for him right yeah. now. It's a, uh, it's a tough, it's tough. I, I, mean, I guess you could, you could take a waiver on him. Yeah, like, maybe. Like why not trade our number 30 prospect for Matt Boyd just, just to see what's, what's happening here. Maybe you could find something, but I mean, you know, I don't think, I don't think there's anyone on the market for the Yankees to be like, all right, we got this guy. Now we go. Yeah, like, I mean, they're really lucky they got Garrett Cole. They're they're very lucky, and uh, yeah, you know, Paxton went down, and you know, Severino is out for the entire year with uh, his, his Tommy John surgery. But I think what the Yankees have to do at the deadline, if they can't get a starting pitcher, which they probably won't be able to get, you know, a number two, number three guy, they'll have to build build an elite team around that starting pitching staff. They might have to go even deeper into the bullpen to where they only have to rely on a starter for maybe four innings and then they can build, you know, this five inning bullpen, uh, especially for the postseason. or you get even another bat like you did last year with Edwin Encarnacion. You know, do you think you, they could get Lance Lynn back? Um, Lance, uh, I mean, he's, he's got uh, 20, he's got control through, 2021 they'd have to i think they'd have to unfurl a, a good package for them the Rangers 
probably aren't going to give him up easy. Yeah, that that's that's true. And but I mean, if you're the Yankees, you have to at least give it a shot. We'll see. I mean, the trade deadline is literally a week away, like a week from tomorrow, as we're recording this. A week from a week from today, as this is being uploaded. Also, if the if the Indians want to, if they want yeah, to, get rid of, oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. I mean, they could they could get Clevenger and Plesac. Yeah, really. if, if they want to, if the Indians really want to get rid of those guys, you know, there's been rumors that they want to. Would Clevenger I mean, cut it there? Those are the. <laughs> all right. Clevenger, Clevenger. That's that's not a great look. He doesn't have a no trade clause, does he? Probably not. No, no way. Yeah, that that would be uh, that would be interesting. That would be a bad look, but that, would, that might be the number one like starting pitching option in the market if Cleveland wants to part with them. Yeah, and the, I mean, Clevenger, you know, if you get for three for essentially probably three years of control on Clevenger, I mean, you'd have to give up your top prospect. You'd have to give up, you know, whatever Definitely. Garcia or. Uh, the, that position player, L'Oreal, L'Oreal, yeah, L'Oreal, yeah. Um, yeah, the the Yankees are the the options. I guess are interesting. You know, not not too much on the starting pitching market. Maybe some under the radar guys that you didn't think would be on the market are now on the market, um, and maybe they could build the bullpen a little more, but. A team that has decided to build their bullpen, and uh, they had to. I mean, they, yeah. they literally had to. The Philadelphia Phillies. Philadelphia Phillies, they trade Nick Pavetta and uh, Connor Siebold. Yeah. Connor Siebold uh, for Red Sox closer Brandon Workman and Red Sox reliever Keith Hembree. Um, it hasn't worked out so far in the, uh, in the game that we've seen. So but... I, I have a buddy of mine who's a Phillies fan, and he was asking me, like, you know, what's the deal with Workman? And I was like, you know, his issue is walking people, but when he's not doing that, he's unhittable. Like, nobody, nobody hits this guy. He's given up one home run since the start of 2019. Uh, he had a batting average against uh, last year of, of 123, like, if this guy ever has a problem, it's with his command, but no one's ever going to get hits off him. The very first pitch he throws, Matt Adams hits a two-run double to give the Phillies a lead. So uh, that was unfortunate. Yeah, the Brandon Workman thing is quite fascinating because he was kind it of a is. he was kind of a middle-of-the-road reliever, and then he decided, I'm going to be a not a three-true-outcomes guy, but a two-true-outcomes guy. I'm going to either – I'm going to make sure that – no one gets a hit off me. I'm going to try to paint any corner. I'm not going to leave it over the plate. If I walk a guy, I walk a guy. But I can also strike out, you know, uh, 12 guys per nine. Yep. And it worked out for him last year. I mean, I think he had a yeah, he had a 188 ERA. He was one of the. He was a top 10 reliever in baseball, uh, arguably like top five. I think the the shredder had him at number six last winter. Yeah, it, and it's it's understandable. But yeah, I mean the the Phillies should expect good things with Brandon Workman. I don't know if last year was a fluke year. You should expect somewhat of a setback, but not a not you know a guy who's going to go full Edwin Diaz. Um, 
Well, Edwin Diaz is like he's been doing a lot better since the last couple outings. But yeah, but like a a one year just. I know, I know. Like blow up to a five ERA after having fifty saves. Like I get that. Yeah, and then Heath Hembry. Keith Hembry's definitely one of those guys that's on or off. Yeah. Like, that's how we all – it was always, like, a good month, bad month, good month, bad month type of type of thing for him. I guess it's easier for us to, to give the eye test sort of idea because we're both Red Sox fans. So, we've, we've watched these people, I mean, for years. Like, these are two well-tenured Red Sox players. I remember Workman was on the 2013 team, and Hembry was traded over in the fire sale. It's fitting. Hembry – Henry was traded over here in a fire sale and is traded out during a fire sale. At, at least it's going to become one for the Red Sox. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. And yeah, Heath Henry, I remember like last year and in, in like May and June, he was like our best reliever, the, the Red Sox best reliever. And then he got injured and then he was kind of back to his normal self. It was kind of weird. So you just got to, with Heath Henry, just make, you got to get him while he's hot. You got to make sure he's hot for the postseason, and I think he had he had he had a good postseason in 2018. So I, I think he did didn't he only make like one appearance, and it was in the 18th inning game. Um, Heath Hembry, maybe in the World Series, maybe that was his only appearance in the World I don't Series. Him pitching that much in that in those playoffs. Uh, Nick Pavetta, um, this is a guy who came into into the league with some potential. Uh, I think. He wasn't expected to be great, but everyone was looking at him being like, hey, the Phillies could have a good, you know, three, four starter here. Maybe, you know, maybe more. And it hasn't exactly worked out. His best season uh, is 2018. He had 164 innings pitched, a 4.77 ERA with a 3.79 FIP. Uh, so, I mean, it was encouraging to see, uh, you know, he was a bit un- unlucky. Uh, as for the Red Sox, I mean, I don't really know how much you can expect coming from him, especially in a season where you don't really have much expectations, especially going forward. You do have control through 2023, and he is 27 right now. Uh, he, he averages his strikeout numbers. I mean, he's been, he's been tough this year. He's a 15-8-8 ERA uh, in three appearances, five and two-thirds innings pitch, 10 earned runs, three home runs, one walk, four strikeouts, a 9-6-9 FIP. Um, I mean, I think if you want to look at it from the glass half full side of things, he could just need need a change of scenery. That could absolutely be a thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. How much are you expecting from Nick, Nick Pavetta on a team that does not have starting pitching? What I will say about Nick Pavetta and what I'll say about Heim Bloom is Heim Bloom likes to go to baseballsavant.com. I can tell. Mm-hmm. So Nick Pavetta is a guy who – He's got pretty good fastball velocity. He's very good fastball spin rate. He's got good, uh, I think he's got good curveball spin rate. So Heim Bloom has taken a trip, taken some trips to baseball savant. He got Martin Perez. Martin Perez was like a guy who like underperformed his expected statistics by a lot, like two years in a row. And he's done pretty well this year. So I guess that's a win so far. He got Austin Bryce, who was in like the 96th or 94th percentile in curve spin rate. And now he gets Nick Pavetta, who's got good spin rate. So I'm wondering, like, with, I'm wondering, you know, if Heim Bloom's pitcher factory that he might have helped develop in Tampa Bay 
comes to play in Boston. And I, I think Nick Pavetta might be the first, first guy in this experiment um, or experiment. And I think there, there might be more upside than, than people realize, but yeah. you know, spin rate doesn't mean exactly that you're going to give up less runs. You know, you might still put it right over the middle of the plate, you know, command is key. And, you know, if he gets command, if he goes through this kind of uh, pitcher factory and he comes out well, I wouldn't be too surprised. I mean, I'd be surprised if he was, you know, a Cy Young candidate. But, I mean, I I don't know if we'll see big results this year, but if he if he has a good – if he can get into that, like, system in spring training next year and and turn around, maybe, maybe we'll see some different results from Nick Pavetta. Yeah, all right. So lastly, uh, Connor Siebold. Uh, you, you, neither of us have ever watched this guy pitch like on TV uh, or in person, so it's tough to really make judgments. Uh, but I'm just looking at his baseball reference page here. The thing that stands out to me the most, last year he pitched in the Arizona Fall League for Scottsdale. He made four starts, pitched 17 innings, gave up seven hits, three runs, only two of them earned, one home run and three walks and 22 strikeouts. Uh, so that is a 106 ERA, also 11.6 strikeouts per nine, uh, 7.3 strikeouts per walk. So he pitched re- very effectively in a relatively small sample size in the Arizona Fall League last year, which is encouraging to see for sure. Uh, of course, it's always a big question mark as to how that's going to translate in the big leagues. But, I mean, I don't think – as a Red Sox fan, I don't think we can look at this trade – a couple of years down the road and be like, man, what are we doing? Why did we get this guy and that guy? Like, I don't think there's much of a disappointment to be had through this trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Heim Bloom, um, no, I think he knows what he's doing with the young talent he gets. Like even like the Mookie Betts trade, I've, I've thought about this, you know, obviously I'd rather it not have ever happened, but you know, you can't play you know, Heim. But if you like Alex Verdugo looks very good. And if Jeter Downs comes up and is becomes maybe even just like a top 10 second baseman in the league and Alex Verdugo is an all-star, like you're going to be glad that Heim Bloom got you those two guys. Um, And I think, I think he knew what he was doing by getting those two guys. Um, And I think, I think Heim Bloom's, kind of been playing the long game uh, ever since he took over. But yeah, I think I'm kind of optimistic with uh, some somewhat optimistic with what Heim Bloom has been, has been getting. Yeah. So that leads us to some more on the field stuff. So the White Sox had an unbelievable streak entering today. You Darvish had something to say about that, but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about too much about today because the White Sox firmly put themselves as you know a potentially top team in the American League Central. They're right in there with the Indians and the Twins right now. Um, they won seven games in a row, starting with the Cardinals, then they swept the Detroit Tigers, and they've taken two out of three against the Cubs and an unbelievable offensive display by the White Sox. Yeah, I saw a set on ESPN today that said that they hit, I believe it was 28 home runs over the past seven games, which is a record for uh, any seven-game stretch by a team in Major League history. 
Yes, that is that is true. That's I saw that on uh, on Twitter. I think the MLB Twitter account um, yeah. tweeted that out. That's an MLB record. <laughs> I mean, they were crushing the ball. They hit so many home runs off of John Lester. They could not stop hitting home runs off of John Lester. And Lester was a guy who came in with an ERA under three before uh, yeah. before that start on Friday. So during, during the streak, during that White Sox winning streak of seven games, they slugged 702. 702 they slugged uh, over a seven-game stretch as a team, 702. Uh, their OPS was 1069. Their weighted runs created plus was 184. And all three of those uh, led the league during the streak. On Friday, uh, they had 10 runs all coming off the long ball. Yeah, they they couldn't. They and that couldn't wasn't even and that wasn't even the game where they had a guy hit three home runs. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, speaking of guys hitting three home runs. Uh, Jose Abreu has been unbelievable as well during the streak. And this isn't even including today. Today he hit a home run. But during the streak, Jose Abreu hit 533 with an 1896 OPS. Also, seven home runs in seven games, 15 RBI, a 400 weighted runs created plus, and he accumulated 1.2 Wins above replacement in seven games. And he homered again today, too. Yeah, he homered again today. So those stats are going to be even better. Yeah, they're probably they, – or I don't know. His weighted runs created plus might actually go down. With it might one, go down. <laughs> one home run in one game. It might be 395. Yeah, Jose Abreu um, making White Sox fans happy that, uh, that they re-signed him in the offseason. He's been quite – quite unreal and tim anderson uh also getting in on the party he hit 419 with a 1326 ops during the streak and eloy jimenez uh he hit 379 with an 1159 ops during that seven game win streak uh yes Monty grandal uh hit a couple bombs during that series as well i'm trying to i'm looking at his uh game logs to see what kind of stats went up because i know yeah, okay. Hang on a second. Yeah, I was looking on uh, Fangrass, but I don't know if it, it's set under, like, qualified. Um, yeah. Between, we might have had a couple days yeah. off. Between August 17th and August 22nd, his OPS went from 664 to 755. Yeah, almost a, 100 points. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. he's running. He had himself a weekend, and he was due. Yeah, very due. I, I was surprised to hear that that six fifty, uh, that six fifty number coming out. Yeah, uh, I think he only hit like his second home run on I want to say Friday. So after the streak, where where are we? What, how do we uh, how do we approach the the Chicago White Sox? Are they right up there with the with the Indians and Twins uh, at this point? Well, the Twins and Indians play each other this week, so the White Sox need to take advantage and win their ball games because then they're going to be catching up to one of them or both if they like split the series or if it's two to one or whatever. I'm not sure how many games that series is, but um, yeah, I mean they are to be taken seriously. They are definitely playoff worthy. Uh, that lineup is is extremely dangerous on all fronts. I mean, Danny Mendick, their nine hitter, was going deep 
beat this weekend as well. So, I mean, there's not, there's, there are no free outs in this lineup. Everyone mashes. Uh, the pitching is a question mark by default. Giolito hasn't exactly been what we were hoping for the entirety of the year. He, his last start against Detroit was awesome, 13 Ks. Uh, so that was cool to see. Dylan Cease has, looks to have uh, turned the corner and is becoming who we believed he is. By the way, people forget, Eloy and Dylan Cease could have been Cubs. Yeah. But they had to have Quintana instead. It's, that it's, was, uh, it's wild. That one time ever I thought, wow, what is Theo doing? Yeah. It's, like Even partying with Glaber Torres, it's like, okay, you're getting an elite closer that's going to help you win a championship. But that trade, I was like, Jose Quintana becomes your like third starter. You just traded two like high tier prospects to get him. Yeah, and they they won the World Series the year before. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, and they were still in a legit championship window. It's like Jose Quintana is not going to bring you over the top, and you don't need to get rid of Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Yeah, the the White Sox they've been inflicting damage, and some of their uh, some of their best bats. Haven't even really woken up yet. Uh, I'm looking yeah, at the... struggling recently. His OPS is in like the mid 700s. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the uh, the team reference page, and this is coming into Sunday. But Encarnacion has a 599 OPS. Um, yeah, he's an older guy, so maybe he does. And he actually... struggled late last year too. Yeah, maybe he does actually drop off. Mancada 781 OPS, um, and Grandal. Before this week, his OPS was in the mid-sixes. So, you know, who knows the potential of this offense? I'm so excited for this year's playoffs. Like, even though I know the Red Sox aren't going to be in it, there are so many exciting teams that are going to have an opportunity that they otherwise might not have had. And the White Sox are one of them. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is weird for me because uh, I, almost, I almost enjoy or look forward to the playoffs more when the Red Sox yes. aren't in it. No, I totally, because then I don't, like, because then I don't have to feel pressure of, like, you know, the pressure of watching it. Like, watching your team in a playoff game is agonizing, even if they, whether they win or lose. Like, you know, I remember 2018, like, I wanted to die every single night watching those games. This year, it's like, all right, I can relax, like, watch some good playoff baseball, like, enjoy the whole league a lot more. Like, it is honestly refreshing when your team isn't in it. The only thing is, like, as a Red Sox fan, you know, I naturally – have to want the Yankees to lose like that is the one obligation but like I mean I think we can acknowledge the Yankees are a likable team on you know on the field like like obviously like if they win you know I'm gonna be happy for Aaron Judge I'm gonna be happy for Giancarlo Stanton I'm gonna be happy for DJ LeMahieu guys that didn't get that chance otherwise in their careers you know Garrett Cole like he was kind of robbed last year like I you know obviously you don't want to see the pinstripes win but I'd be happy for those players honestly yeah, and and just like, yeah, this year watching neutrally, especially with sixteen teams, it's mm-hmm. just going to be just a lot of stress free. I I don't know if it would be uh, better if the Red Sox were in a sixteen team, if it's less stressful with them not being in a sixteen team playoff or a ten team playoff. I feel like it would be less. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we should consider keeping the expanded playoffs, maybe not 16 teams, but maybe do it like the NFL does almost, except the problem is you don't want to have the one and two seeds having a bye, like Trevor Bauer mentioned. Uh, but I think they should figure out a way to keep the playoff ex- playoffs expanded going forward. Yeah, may- maybe. We'll, we'll see when we uh, 
when we get there. But yeah, the you know when we we talk about the expanded playoffs and it's nice to have them this year, especially because you have your the the secondary teams. Those exciting secondary teams are probably going to get in, like you know the White Sox or the Padres. The Padres are looking incredibly good right now. Uh, we talked about the, how the White Sox ended their streak today. The Padres streak uh, has kept going through today, uh, even though even though they were facing Zach Ranke, who came into the into today with a with an ERA under two, one eight four, one eight four ERA, and the Padres are looking like an elite team right now. Slam Diego. Slam Diego. They hit. They have hit five grand slams in the past week. Of course, Fernando Tatis, Will Myers, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, and Jake Cronenworth in that order all went deep. Uh, I mean, you all saw the stat that they were the first team in MLB history to have hit a, hit a grand slam in four straight games. Which is, that's what I love about baseball, by the way. Like you can watch baseball your entire life, and at the very end, see something that you've never seen before. Like if you're 70 years old, still watching baseball. Uh, this week it was the this week was the first time you've ever seen a team hit four grand slams in four games, in a row. Yeah, and it it doesn't seem as out of the out of the ordinary as as you would think. Like four grand slams in four days, in I mean, in the entire one hundred fifty year history, never happened until never now. Happened. I mean, you know, not, not even in like the 1800s when, when old Haas Radborn was racking up 60 win seasons. They weren't even doing it then. Yeah. I mean, for granted, I guess they would all be inside the park, but it would be, I mean, who knows? Yeah, the Providence Slam in four straight games. Even the 1884 Providence Grays were not capable of four grand slams in four days. I mean. They weren't, they weren't were they even capable of four home runs, period? <laughs> they probably had three and, and led the league. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the, the Padres are looking incredibly good. I think that that sweep over the over the Astros was definitely a statement. And the Astros, they weren't coming in cold. They were coming off a sweep of the Rockies. And the Padres uh, – the, the Padres um, took the – you know – they saw that speeding train, they took it on, and they swept the Astros. It was pretty shocking, to be honest. you got to hate seeing this if you're any other team in the division, minus maybe the Dodgers, because the Padres are going to be here for a while. Like, they still, have, they still have guys in the farm system that are developing. I mean, Mackenzie Gore is a top-five prospect in the league. Luis Patino, they have plenty. Our guy, Matt Barash, is down there. They have plenty of guys that are still to come up. And they are, you know, looking like an elite team right now, just with Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that's pretty carried by the offense currently. But once you get, once you get Gore and Patino in there in the next couple of years, you're going to also probably have an elite, at least one, two, three combination. If, if that, if those, especially with Paddock, hold up, yeah. yeah. I mean, and Denelson Lamette has looked really good this year. He is a sub two ERA. Yeah, Zach- I forgot about him too. Zach Davies, that was a really nice trade. Uh, and even, strangely enough, the best part of this team, the bullpen, hasn't exactly been exactly what we thought it would be. Like, Kirby Yates went down with an injury. Um, Emilio Pagan has struggled. Like, this team could get better. Like, this yeah, team pa- should get better. Pomeranz went down with an injury, too. 
Did he? Oh, he yeah. was doing well, too. That sucks. So who do they got, like, Craig Stammen closing games for them now? Who's closing games for the Padres? Pagan. Who closed for them today? Pagan? Oh, he is still? Okay. What's his – last I checked, his ERA was at, like, eight. I should, I should check. Maybe he didn't close today. Oh, no, he closed today. today. So they probably did have a closer come in of some sorts. Like Craig Stammen, Matt Strom, some, somewhere around that. Cal Quantrill has looked really good. Uh, he got a big strikeout yesterday or today, some this weekend at least. Oh, Friday. Friday he got a big strikeout to get out of a jam, I believe. Yeah, the Padres, um, they're, they're something special. I mean, yeah, you, as you mentioned, not, they're playing without their biggest strength. You know, Kirby Yates, national or a guy who should have been nationally award for the year. Yeah. What should have been should have been the Trevor Hoffman Award winner. Yeah, should should have won a NL Reliever of the Year. Um, and you don't even have him, and you're still winning seven games in a row. Um, yeah. By the way, the Padres completely broke the Rangers. They got swept this weekend in Seattle. Yeah, because the Rangers. It was almost self-inflicted. I mean, they, they embarrassed themselves in front of the whole world. Yeah, by being soft, and now, now look what's happening. Yeah, I mean, if there's – maybe they'll just blow up and they'll have, they'll have to trade Lance Lynn. Yeah, I mean, I remember last week we were, ta- we were really going, going uh, questioning if they were going to be buyers or sellers. Like, when we did that segment, that was the biggest question mark there. I think it's pretty easy to look at them as sellers now. I mean, a one week really does determine everything. Like, if they won every game this week, it's like, well, yeah, of course they're buying. If they lost, it's like, well, say goodbye to Lance Lynn. Maybe Mike Miner goes. Maybe Todd Frazier goes. Even though we had a cold week. Like, there's, you know, one week in a 60-game season can really change everything. Yeah, because they're not going to – they're probably not going to get that second-place spot. And in terms of the seven and eight seeds, that's probably going to go to – either Toronto, you know, probably Toronto, Chicago, um, you know, Twins or Indians, depending on how that shakes up in the AL Central. Um, yeah. I don't really see the Rangers as competitive right now. Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah, it looks bad. I mean, a four-game sweep is huge, um, huge in, uh, in the 60-game season, and Rangers are Rangers are feeling that right now. Shame because the Rangers uh, on their home runs they play the theme from the Natural and it sounds so good. And it would be cool if like an entire audience saw that, especially because if it's happening in the playoffs, there's no fans to to yell over the sound of that. So like we would have a perfect opportunity to hear that. Yeah, it would be like an actual movie. It would be crazy. Like, oh, it was. Remember we did the, the 2010 Rangers show, and like yeah. you heard the natural theme going. Like it was the theme from when. He hits the home run at Wrigley Field, and like it was, it sounded perfect. Like we don't, we probably won't have that if this team isn't. I mean, they do it in the regular season, but it'd be a cool way to put it out to the public. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. I mean, I, I imagine you know, a game tying home run by Joey Gallo. So that hits like off the scoreboard, five hundred sixty feet, just yeah. like the national. And then yeah. it goes dun 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 dun. That. Yep. Getting chills just thinking about that. That's that's a good that's a good sight. So we mentioned we mentioned the San Diego Padres making history, four Grand Slams in four days. No one has ever done that. Mike Trout has 
made history again. Not, not how he usually makes history, but his, uh, I guess you could say, rookie card has sold for just under $4 million, breaking Hannes Wagner's famous uh, $3.2 million record, of course, uh, as we mentioned on episode 42, part one of uh, the show to be named later. Mike Trout breaking that record. Yeah, so how long – do you remember how long that stood for? Like, not, I'm not talking about, like, the, la- the latest time that Hannes Wagner broke the record, but, like, the la- when was the last time Hannes Wagner didn't hold the record for the most expensive card? Because, like, I mean, when we did the show, you know, we would always talk about, like, <laughs> the record that he set and then broke it again and then broke it again, and it was just, you know, the top three bestsellers were Hannes Wagner, Hannes Wagner, Hannes Wagner. Now Mike Trout's up there. When was the last time it wasn't Hannes Wagner? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that. Um, it's probably been a while. We probably have not been alive for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – because the, the Wayne Gretzky card, the one that he got and then he got authenticated, uh, that happened in, I think, 1991. Oh, wow. Um, it's been a long time. I would imagine that, like, his card still, because of the rarity, I, I would imagine it still – was the most expensive it probably wasn't that specific card but it was still the most expensive because of the story uh, everyone knows the story by now hopefully yeah. <laughs> that he didn't want to be associated with the tobacco yeah. company so they only made between 50 and 200 cards so that's there's probably only like 100 card Hannes Wagner cards out yeah. there the T206 Hannes Wagner card and that's why it's so rare and that's why it's uh, so much money the three million dollars but yeah, I don't know how long it stood for. Yeah, um, I mean, Mike Trout. This is three hundred three point eight four million dollars. Uh, that is more than a lot of MLB players, uh, which is which is pretty awesome. I mean, I guess not. Maybe not for just like putting in perspective. Like a card is worth more than like that card. Very well sold for more than than some people might ever make, which is unfortunate. But like that is a fact. Yeah, when when you come into the league. Uh, you know, with, with uh, player control and pre-arbitration and arbitration, it's going to take you like four or five years to make what that card uh, sold for. Yeah. Like, I if, mean, I go ahead. Even if you're, even if you're a good player, if you're a reliever, it might take you like the whole six years. Like we never really talked about this or thought it through, but like if I really put some thought into it, it really would have seemed like Hannes Weidner's record would have been unbreakable. Like pen, like minus like inflation, but like who would ever like we would? I never would have thought someone would have overpassed Hannes Wagner's G two O six card. And like you yeah. think about all the great players that have come and gone since Hannes Wagner, like we are literally going through pretty much all of baseball history there. Yeah, you've got Abe Ruth, Ted Williams, like Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial. I mean. I could go on and on forever. Like virtually every great player in baseball history is after Hannes Wagner. Yeah. The Mickey Mantle was, is like another like baseball card guy. Like if you have his baseball card, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I'd like to know the story of the, of the card, but I don't think a lot of details have come out about the card. Um, being that we did an episode on Hannes Wagner, it's, it kind of intrigues, it kind of it intrigues does. us more than it would have, had it happened like last year mm-hmm. yeah it's it's intriguing for us definitely because we, we did the episode on it 
but yeah, pretty wild story. Pretty wild story. Yeah. What I would, what I would say about that story, what I would say about that story is, and that's where we lead into our, one of our favorite segments. How about that? We, uh, we're going to highlight some players and, you know, maybe a whole team uh, that has been doing well, maybe even making history. Uh, Daniel, who is, uh, who is your how about that for this week? Okay, so I, I did one how about that this week, or at least this by, by week because we do it twice a week. But um, Dominic Smith from the New York Mets oh, yeah. has done very well, especially – Considering, you know, him a while to a, a good hitter. You know, he came up in 2017, I believe it was, with high expectations as a prospect. He was the number, I think, two prospect in their system uh, when he came up or something like that. Like, it was basically him and Alonzo. I'm trying to remember. Who was who were the big Mets prospects at that point? Oh, it was him and Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, like, those are the big two at that point. Anyway, Dominic Smith, since the start of 2019 – in 274 plate appearances, he is slashing 293, 369, 587, 955. His 152 weighted runs created plus in that time ranks between Fernando Tatis Jr. and Boba Shett among hitters with at least 200 plate appearances. That is eighth in all of baseball. In 2020 now, he has 77 plate appearances, and the amount needed to qualify on the Mets right now is about 80. So give it like two or three more games if he plays the full game. He's going to be qualifying. And he has a 754 slugging percentage this season with an 1156 OPS. And he ranks in the top 15 percentile in ex-WOBA, the 85th percentile, expected slugging the 92nd percentile, and barrel percentage the 94th percentile. And he has already surpassed his wins above replacement from last season in more than 70 less games. So Dominic Smith has been playing this season. Yeah, Dominic Smith. That's a that's a good how about that there. He's uh, definitely you know when when people talk about the Mets, although you know especially this season, all they'll talk about is the negatives. But Dominic Smith has come under the radar, especially you know a position player on the Mets. You don't see a lot of excellence there besides Pete Alonso and. Jeff McNeil and, and those McNeil guys struggling this year too. Like he's, I mean, struggling by McNeil standards. Like he's only hitting like 260, 270, with yeah. a fairly low in OPS. Yeah, Dominic Smith, um, pretty much being being one of the the anchors of that um, of that Mets offense, keeping them in the race. I mean, yeah. you know, they started three and seven, but now they're only two games under five hundred. About they're like tied for the last playoff spot right now. Yeah, they are. They, yeah, they're pretty much like eighth seed right now, or pretty close to it. So, yeah. even without Cespedes and and uh, Cindergard and Stroman, they could they could make a push. They could make a late season push like they did last year, except make the playoffs this time because of the expanded playoffs. Uh, my uh, first, how about that for this week? Kind of a basic one. Not too much on the guy, but I think he deserves some recognition. Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio has looked uh, pretty good over the past couple weeks. Very good over the past couple weeks. Uh, kind of anchoring that Blue Jays offense. Since August 7th, he's slashing 353, 
515, 686 for a 1201 OPS uh, since August 7th. Also since August 7th, he leads the league in walks and is fourth in on-base percentage. And everyone above him, uh, he has more plate appearances than. So he is first in on-base percentage, minimum five, uh, 55 plate appearances since August 7th. And uh, also since August 7th, he is second in Major League Baseball in Fangraph's war. So Kevin Biggio has looked very good. He's been sort of like the forgotten piece of that Blue Jays core. Like obviously everyone, and it's, everyone looks at Vlad Jr. Obviously because he was the number one prospect in baseball and his dad is, you know, a literal hall of famer. I guess same goes for Kevin Biggio, but I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr. was a bigger name. Boba Shed, he was also ranked higher and he also had that explosive start. But Kevin Biggio is kind of the forgotten piece and I'm glad that he's getting his recognition. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Biggio. Um, he had the go-ahead double Friday against the Rays. Yeah, he's. He, I, I agree with you there. He's been kind of the forgotten piece in there. Like, Vladdy Jr. was the biggest guy coming up uh, because of the way he hits the ball, how he hits the ball hard, um, deservedly. So getting that recognition. And then Bo Bichette was probably the best. Uh, you know, even though it was a small sample size, he probably looked the best. Hang uh, on a second. Let me stop you right quite, real quick. Uh, ESPN just showed a uh, starting pitchers like potential trade deadline people's segment. It was uh, like Johnny Cueto was there, uh, Martin Perez was there, Matt Harvey was there. Uh, there was two more, but I forget who they were. But uh, that just says about everything you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> that's ca- yeah. I about that earlier. Maybe Matt Harvey can have a good start and then get yeah. traded. Uh, Imagine if the Yankees trade for him. Yeah, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Right back to New York. He's back in New York. Print, print oh, you spread. didn't like? Oh, you didn't like the New York Mets media? Well, here you go. Here's the New York Yankees. Have fun. Yeah, <laughs> he's back home, where he belongs. Yep. Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. How How about that starting pitching trade market? Especially in 2020, there's not going to be a lot of sellers, I would imagine. But uh, my second, how about that? I'm going. I'm gonna. We're going to do a little guessing game. I'm going to have you guess. So I'm going to have you guess. So I'm going to say there are four pitchers uh, this year to pitch five games with six plus innings pitched and less than three earned runs allowed. There's four pitchers to have five such games. Um, Can you, do you want to guess those four pitchers? Just throw out names. I'll I'll tell you if they, if they uh, did or have or haven't done that. All right. Shane Bieber. Yep. I don't think Bowers pitched four games, has he? Uh, Bowers not on the list. Bowers not on the list. Um, oh, man, five of such games. So these are got to be like top of the line starters, right? Like people that have, like people that have pitched like opening day and stuff. Uh, yeah, pretty much top of the rotation guys. Did Nelson Lamette? Nope. No. <sighs> Some of them are more obvious. I have a hint but... on one of them. Any of them? What? I have a hint on some of them, maybe. Um, I mean, uh, there's a there's there's a guy who has an ERA under one and a half right now. I haven't checked the ERA leaderboards. Hang on a second. Um, God, is it cheating if I look at the ERA leaderboards? No, not cheating. No. Okay, 
Well, I mean, I got Shane Bieber. I think that was the obvious one. Yeah. Uh, oh, Max Freed. No. Nope. Oh, no, Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn has got to be one of them. Lance Lynn is the second. Hugh Darvish? Nope. Randy Dobnock? Uh, no. All right, I give up. Give me him. And then there's Sonny Gray, who's a guy who I didn't want to hide. I've... And then the fourth one is Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen is oh, the man. one of my guys to watch for. Zach Gallen is one of those four guys. He's yeah. my how about that of the week. How about that? Or how about that of the Monday episode, August 24th. Um, he, yeah, he is one of four pitchers this year to have five games with six plus innings and less than three earned runs allowed. You know, I didn't know he'd be such an innings eater this year, but he is. Uh, his 2.25 ERA also ranks 13th in baseball coming into Sunday, and his 10.5 strikeouts per nine ranks 12th uh, coming in, into Sunday. His hard hit percentage is in the 70th, 70th percentile, expected slugging in the 72nd, expected batting average in the 76th, and expected WOBA in the 78th percentile. So he's not getting uh, he's not getting lucky here. These are real uh, real results that he's producing. His yeah. B-war, his B-war is tied for fifth in Major League Baseball. So he's, he's been a top five pitcher in baseball, according to Baseball Reference War. And a lot of that has to do with him eating the innings. He's got 36 innings pitched through his first uh, six starts. I mean, getting, getting six plus innings uh, per start is a pretty big deal nowadays. And Zach Allen is doing just that. And also, uh, the, the main stat... One of the main stats here. So all six of his starts have consisted of six plus strikeouts and less than three earned runs allowed. The only other Diamondbacks pitcher to Randy have Johnson. six such games in the team's first 30 games is Randy Johnson in 2000. Yep. In 2000? 2000, yeah. That was yeah I mean, there were like five of such seasons that were possible there. So yeah, yeah. It could have been 01, 02, 03, 04. <laughs> Yeah, could have been, could have been any of those. But yeah, Zach Allen um, could have been. I remember when, uh, yeah, when I did my Lance Lynn stat, I was like, he's the first person over the age of thirty-five to do this since they like, it was like there were seven. There have been seven of such seasons. It was Lance Lynn, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson, Randy Johnson. Yeah, yeah, Randy, Randy Johnson will do that. So those are my, those are my how about that's for the week. And now we go from the highs to the lows, and we're going to be doing some slightly alarming statistics, highlighting uh, some some players or teams that need some some big improvement uh, from what they've done as of late. So, who is your uh, who are you highlighting for your slightly alarming statistics? Am I slightly alarming? Uh, this is not necessarily like a perennial superstar player. But he was a big prospect. I think that's my theme for this one is prospects that are that are make, sort of turning a corner because Dominic Smith is obviously doing that. But this guy, he came up a few years ago as a big name prospect, top five in the league, and he is not doing what I what people have hoped. And that is J.P. Crawford. Uh, he had a really good start to the season, and he has kind of plummeted. You know, obviously the hot start to the season in July. I was highlighting that when it happened. Uh, but he and he entered the month of August with a 393 average and a 1086 OPS. 
He is now looking at a 222 average with a 583 OPS. Yikes. So, I mean, that, that tanks, like his OPS is in half almost, and his average is down 170 points since then. Uh, he is two for his last 34. Chris, He's two for 34. And, and the last time he recorded recorded an extra base hit as an everyday player, the leadoff guy, that was July 27th, almost a month ago. And in the month of August, he is 13 for 80. That is a 163 average, including today. He went 0 for 4. Uh, J.P. Crawford has been in a big slump recently. Somehow, by the way, in the middle of August, he somehow managed to have an eight-game hit streak. Um despite only having 13 hits in about 22 games or so. So, I mean, good for him there. But the grand scheme of things, uh, his bat, he has an ISO of zero uh, in the month of August, which is very bad considering the month is about to end and he is an everyday player. But uh, J.P. Crawford is struggling mightily right now. Slightly alarming. Yeah, J.P. Crawford, you know, he, he was a highly touted prospect. Um, he was in the Gene Segura trade, and it, it just hasn't, hasn't panned out for him uh, thus far, unfortunately. My uh, slightly alarming statistics are dedicated to an entire offense. Uh, this one, uh, I think we mentioned them briefly um, in, the, uh, in the show uh, prior. I'm looking at the Colorado Rockies offense uh, mm-hmm. as a slightly alarming statistic. Since August 14th, uh, and I believe they've lost something like 8 out of 9, 9 out of 10, something like that, they fell off hard. And we were pumping their tires at the beginning of the season, but they have fell off hard. Since August 14th, their 605 OPS ranks last in the MLB. And uh, they've also posted a 48 weighted runs created plus uh, in, in this uh, 9-10 game span. That also ranks last in Major League Baseball. And their position player wins above replacement also ranks last. Uh, specific players are also struggling. Charlie Blackman, he's dropped off uh, since August 14th. He has a 640 OPS, uh, but it's not as bad as Nolan Arenado and Daniel Murphy. Nolan Arenado, since August 14th, has a 337 OPS, and Daniel Murphy has a 295 OPS slightly alarming during this uh, during this stretch there they were looking like kind of a favorite to take that second place spot in the National League West and uh, now they've fell off dramatically you know when they were playing really well and we were sort of pumping the brakes saying like like you know can they sustain this I think what we were anticipating was the inevitable pitching blow up and that is not what's really happened. The pitching has been fine. Like Kyle Freeland pitched decently today. The bullpen sort of imploded, but Kyle Freeland was fine. Or no, Freeland pitched last night. I'm sorry. Yeah. Freeland pitched pretty well last night. Um, Sensatella pitched today. He was okay. Um, and the pitching hasn't really been that big of a problem. The offense has been not carrying it though. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess the same way you expect the pitching to kind of blow up when they're at home. Um, you can sort of expect somewhat of a of that same decline when the when the offense is on the road and they've been on the road a lot recently and i think that's part of the reason why they why they've struggled <clears throat> so yeah it's been rough for the for the rockies maybe they can bounce back um 
as, as we've talked about, the pitching has not been the problem. And, you know, you expect Daniel Murphy, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman to, to clean it up. Trevor Story's still been doing pretty well. Um, yep. you, you expect them to bounce back. So I guess there is some optimism there. But right now, not looking very good. Now, uh, now we are going to preview the week ahead, see what matchups uh, we, we would like to see. It's not, it's not uh, super exciting in the upcoming week. There's one particular series I'm looking at. Uh, what, what are you – yeah, what, what series are you looking at? I'm pretty sure it's kind of mutual. The, I don't uh, think it is because my series is between two uh, perennial under 500 teams. Uh, one of these teams just got swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, so that's real good. But I'm looking at the Reds and Brewers this week. Uh, it's a four-game set, and these are, you know, both teams that need a momentum boost, especially with the expanded playoff. And I think that if the series is lopsided, whoever wins is going to go on a run. Like, this series just screams momentum builder for me. And the as far as the matchups go, I mean, this is always going to be a thing with their pitching staff, but the Reds definitely have the edge. Um uh, tomorrow night, you get Trevor Bauer versus Chase – or no, I'm sorry, Brett Anderson. Chase Anderson's gone. You get Bauer versus Brett Anderson, uh, two personalities, and you, you always want to watch Bauer because, you know, there's going to be some behind the scenes you're going to be seeing later. Uh, he is an 068 ERA, by the way. Pretty good. On Tuesday, you get Luis Castillo, who, by the way, has a 444 ERA with a 205 FIP. Uh, so he's yeah. been pretty unlucky. Uh, against Brandon Woodruff, who – is who has a 3-2-3 ERA. So that's a pretty good matchup on paper. On Wednesday, uh, you get Sonny Gray versus Adrian Hauser. Hauser has a 3-7-2 ERA. Sonny Gray, obviously, as you mentioned, is part of that that list of people with, uh, what was it, five outings of uh, six-plus innings and three or less earned runs. Sonny Gray, yeah. Yeah. So you get that matchup. And then on Thursday, the Reds have not announced their starter, but the Brewers are going with Josh Lindblom. I believe if the pattern continues, they'll go with Anthony Descalfani. Uh, but that is the Brewers-Red series that I am looking at this week. Yeah, that is a good point. This, this is kind of a battle for um, kind of, you know, possibly a seventh or eighth spot in the uh, division. I mean, you got – they could – you know, either one could overtake the Cardinals as the second-place spot. Um because we don't really know what direction the Cardinals are going to take because they haven't played that many games. But yeah, they're two teams that have been underperforming, but you know, they're the Reds are definitely probably on paper more talented than the Brewers, but the Brewers they're managed well. I was kind of more optimistic on them heading into the season and they have I think they've got a camaraderie that could help, you know, kind of spark a good uh, a good run, but the Reds Pitching wise, they're looking they're looking better for uh, in terms of matchups this series. The series that I'm looking at, pretty obvious, uh, Indians Twins. Yeah, it's, I figured you were going to go there, so I took a, another route. Yeah, that. But I yeah. but I do think that Reds Brewers series is interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. I I uh, it didn't pop out to me as much, but you explaining that makes me makes me want to tune in there. Uh, twins Indians. Uh, tomorrow you got Aaron Savale, who's been extremely good as a uh, as a number two for the Indians behind Shane Bieber. Now that Clevenger's not in that rotation right now, versus Kenta Maeda, 
coming off a uh, performance where he had 12 strikeouts and uh, was three outs away from a no-hitter. So that, that's what you have on Monday. Then on Tuesday, Shane Bieber on the mound. You have to watch that, obviously. Last time, yeah, last, last time he faced the Twins, that was eight innings pitch, 13 strikeouts, three hits, no walks. <laughs> I believe that was the second start of the season. I and mean, they're uh, facing Dick Mountain. What? <laughs> they're facing Dick Mountain on Tuesday. Uh, oh, Hill. yeah. Rich Hill? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I see what you did there. So you got him. You got Bieber versus Hill. Um, you know, Bieber's looking elite right now. But, hey, the Twins offense is also pretty elite. And then on Wednesday, uh, you have Adam Plutko versus Jose Barrios, uh, two guys that have been kind of underperforming, but Barrios had a very good last start, and maybe the Twins can can edge them out. I kind of wish the series was another, uh, another game so we could see Tristan McKenzie against the Twins. Yeah, that would be intriguing. But yeah, Trist, Tristan McKenzie, that was his major league debut, right? Did you see the stat that I tweeted? Um, uh, no, I did not. Uh, okay, I will pull it up right now. Um, yes. Jeff Mathis hit a home run by today, by the way. So that was he, cool. Is he still on the Rangers? Yeah. Okay. I was like, when I was like, I was watching it live. I was like, I was like, wait a second, who hit that? And it said Jeff Mathis. Was like, Jeff Mathis. I was like, oh my god, that just happened. Uh, okay. Anyway, Tristan McKenzie is the sixth pitcher in Major League history to pitch at least six innings, allow two or less hits, and strike out ten or more in his Major League debut. He was the first person to do it since Johnny Cueto on April 3rd, 2008. Wow. That's yeah. Pretty, um, was pretty unreal. I'm looking for the... How about that? For the tweet. Okay. It was it was a reply because I tagged him. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you might not see it just by looking at the standard Twitter page. Uh, but yeah, Tristan McKenzie looked really good. It was against the Tigers, so I mean, you could take it with a grain of salt if you want to. Uh, he did allow a home run to Willie Castro, though. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see if if he can sustain that because the Indians they really are a pitching factory. Like they just every time a pitcher comes up, it's like, oh, this guy's a sub three ERA. What? Like Aaron Savale, just out of nowhere, a two nine one ERA, following up the really good year he had last year. Tristan McKenzie, obviously, he was a highly touted prospect, 24 overall coming up. But I mean, 10 strikeouts in your major league debut, I'd say it's pretty good. Yeah. To, to yeah replace, I, I guess the volley was in the rotation anyway, but to replace Plesak and, and Clevenger and even Kluber who was out, who was, you know, got traded. Yeah. I ha- I hate to talk about uh, Trevor Bauer and momentum again, but I, the, there was a Bauer bites with um, Mike Clevenger and Clevenger was talking right. about how uh, his experience coming up in 2016, it was like, it didn't help that like he, he was a, he was a pretty good prospect and he was like, didn't help that like if I had one bad start, it was going to, it was going to kick me out of the rotation or the pitching staff. Like he didn't, didn't have any time to get his feet under him. And like, yeah, they've had like one of the best rotations. It seems forever now. It's like 2015. It's like, Oh, you got Kluber coming off of Cy Young. You got Danny Salazar. You got Carlos Carrasco. Like this team is so good. And now it's like, you got Shane. You get completely different almost. Shane Bieber. Still have Carrasco. You have Clevenger. You have Savale. You have Plesac. You have McKenzie. You have all these guys that can just pit. And they and they could have kept Bauer too. 
Yeah. They, imagine, if they, imagine if they kept Bauer. Last, yeah, last year, they, uh, like in the past, in the past um, 12 months, I guess, or in a, in like a four-month span, they traded the guy who finished third in the Cy Young in 2018 and the guy who finished probably like sixth in the Cy Young in 2018. I think Bauer was like sixth or seventh. And, and they're like still like a top three rotation in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> it's so insane. But, I mean, to be fair about that trade, uh, fr- there's a fly. Uh, Franny Reyes is like their best hitter this year by OPS. Yeah, I I remember on that uh, when that trade happened. I I thought the Indians won that trade, like they got. I don't remember what I thought. I just remember right after it happened, the the Amir Garrett ball broke out. I was like, oh my god, the Reds are they just traded for Trevor Bauer and they they've gone wild. Yeah, because I I I was thinking about like yeah they had they got Puig out of it, who was okay for them. I thought he would do a little bit better, and they got Reyes, and they also got Logan Allen. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they still got pitchers coming up. Like, yeah. they're not done yet. Yeah, like a top 100 prospect. It's kind of weird because they don't have that great of a bullpen either. Like, Brad Hand is decent, but, like, what, Nick Wittengren is okay, I guess. Like, their bullpen is not as de- – I mean, James Karinczak, that dude is awesome. Yeah. Dude, he leads all relievers in war. Yeah, he's wild. So, his, his- – 17 strikeouts per nine, 0-6-1 ERA. James Karinczak. I guess, all right, the Indians' bullpen is pretty deep, deeper than I thought it would be at the beginning of the season, mostly because James Karinczak. Yeah, if only they could go out in free agency and, like, get up. If only they could spend money. Like, yeah, that would be – they would be a dynasty if they could do that. But I guess, I mean, it is weird how baseball just balances out like that. Like That Emmanuel Classe could end up being really good, too. The guy who they, they traded Kluber for, who got suspended for PEDs. Yeah, that's true. But, like, it's funny how, you know, a team on an $80 million payroll and a team on a $200 million payroll can just be at the same level. And, like, how it just balances out like that sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. Like, I'm at, I, I can't imagine if the Indians – if someone bought the Indians and was like, hey, we can, like, get add $100 million to our payroll right now. That would be sick. It's like, hey, we could get Bauer back. I guess they wouldn't want Bauer back in free agency because they have enough pitching depth in that rotation. Uh, I mean, what like what hitters are on the market? Nick? Like, what if J.D. Martinez opts out? It's like, hey, let me grab this DH real quick, add that yeah. to our lineup. Just throw money at him. Just throwing that out. Marce- Did Marcelo Zuna sign a one-year deal with the Braves, or is he, is he under more control? Yeah, he's, he signed a one-year deal. I mean, Castellanos could opt out after this year. Giannis could opt out. I doubt he would, but yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess with uh, COVID, it's hard to get money on the free agent market, but. Why did Marcelo Zuna only get a one-year deal? I think, uh, I think he tried to get himself like, uh, like a, one of those um, Dexter Fowler contracts. You know how yeah. Dexter Fowler, like he wasn't as, he wasn't that great. And he got that's one. Funny. He got a, that's, the one time, that's like the one time the Cardinals have ever opened up the checkbooks and it's Dexter Fowler. Yeah, they, yeah, he got like a one-year deal with the Cubs when he was like 28, 29. Had a good year. And then he got the got the bag in, in St. Louis. It's yeah. funny because we still talk about like, you know, how much he enjoyed his Cubs days. 
Which, like, I don't blame him. Like, you won a World Series and you were beloved there. But it's like, dude, you're on the Cardinals. Like, you, you can't just you can't just be like, man, I miss the Cubs, man. That was such a fun time, man. You yeah. can't be doing that. You got to save those quotes for after you're when done you're with the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. You can't do that. Also, entering today, Marcelo Zuna's OPS uh, is exactly identical to his 2017 924 OPS. Oh, that's good. To, that's good to see for both the Braves and him for, like, in the offseason. Yeah. I remember he had a couple of down years with St. Louis. Uh, yeah, 2017 – or 2018, his OPS went down to 758. That's tough. Uh, yeah, that was – And then 800 last year, and now it's 924. Yeah. I hope that – I like Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, and he's – yeah, he's fun to watch. So that leads to the conclusion of the episode – Hope you enjoyed this. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you want to watch us talk, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It is called STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow at Chris underscore Gianta. If you want to follow Daniel on Twitter and Instagram, uh, both the accounts are at Daniel underscore Curran. And if you want to follow the podcast Instagram, follow at STBNL podcast for uh, all all news on our on our show tell you when we upload that give you one minute highlights all that stuff and we hope you enjoyed our weekend recap uh august 24th episode and we hope to see you in the middle of the week on thursday uh where we recap the uh the past three days in baseball see you on thursday